Well, if you would grab your Bibles, we're going to have a scripture reading this morning. I've asked Jonathan Bowman to come. Uh, Jonathan's visiting Abigail and the rest of our family, right? Visiting all of us for Christmas, and uh, we're glad to have him with us, yes. Uh, I asked him to grab a mic, so I've asked him to read our scripture in Luke chapter 2. If you would, find your place in the Word of God. Luke chapter number 2, he's going to read what we consider to be the Christmas story. And uh, just a few verses there, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 2, in verse 1, we're going to read this scripture together. And then just hold your place after that, we're going to come back to it in the morning message, all right? So Luke chapter 2, if you found your place, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, and Jonathan's coming to read for us. All right, amen. Luke chapter 2, reading in verse number 1, and the word of God says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Amen. All right, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. You may be seated. What a beautiful passage of Scripture. We consider that the Christmas story and uh, the birth of Christ. It's wonderful to read about. And uh, as we celebrate our, our festivities today, and especially here in our service, we think about this birth in the manger at Bethlehem. So let me ask you to hold that thought. We're going to come back to that for the message this morning. And uh, while we're doing that, let me ask our ushers to come. We'll receive our offering. And then we have a special. And then we'll come back to this text in just a few moments. All right, we're in Luke chapter 2. Do you have your place? Luke chapter 2, as we look at the Christmas story. Let's look at just a couple of verses once again. We've already read our text, but I just want to revisit a couple of thoughts. Let me just say, uh, it is kind of a, a sad thing, isn't it, that we have to read about taxes this time of year. Uh, but, you know, God works, you know, the saying goes, God works in mysterious ways. And yes, God can even work through tax season and all of that. And uh, we find that in this story, God used all of that to bring about the fulfillment 
of his will and his prophecy. And uh, what, a, what a great God we serve. And we're going to talk a little more about that in the message. But the Bible says uh, in verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Bethlehem is the place where all of this is occurring. And so I want you to think about Bethlehem this morning and the picture of the nativity that we have before us. This is what we're talking about this morning. This is the, the, the moment in time that we're remembering the birth of our Lord and where it took place. And the Bible says in verse 6, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding. And we read about that, how they came to see. The Bible says in verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The Christmas story, the promise of the Messiah, the Savior, should bring that good tidings, great joy. And it should be to all people, because we share it abroad. In verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And doesn't that characterize this Christmas season, every Christmas season, peace and goodwill toward men. We share that goodwill. We, we live that goodwill. And, uh, you know, we, we have that because of him, because of his promise, because he came, because of who he is, and because of what he brings into our life when we accept Christ as our Savior. Knowing Jesus brings that good peace and that goodwill. It gives us the joy that we talked about. And it allows us to praise God just as they did. We do praise God this morning. We give him all the glory for what he has done and what he's going to do. We have not witnessed those things with our eyes as those shepherds in that country that night. But through the eyes of faith, we have seen our Lord. We've experienced his presence. We've accepted him as our Savior. But one day we will behold him. Our faith will become sight. What a beautiful setting. What a beautiful day that's going to be. The next time, not as a babe lying in a manger, but as a king, reigning sovereign. What a joyous occasion. The Bible says in verse 17, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Notice the Mary, Mary pondering these things in her heart, considering this. Notice all of those in verse 18 that heard the word of the shepherds who witnessed this occasion. They were considering those things as well. Now let us for a moment consider what happened at Bethlehem. The Bible gives us clear indication of you know, what was going to happen. Here, we find its fulfillment. And verse 4 tells us that all of this took place in the city of David. It took place 
in Bethlehem. So what we're reading about is, is what we see in front of us characterized by these figurines and this picture that we refer to as the nativity. This is our story. It's the Christmas story. And it happened in Bethlehem. So I want to I speak for a few moments on this thought, the meaning of Bethlehem. The meaning of Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean to you? Well, there are some things that it should mean. I hope it just doesn't just picture a, a, a nice, friendly time around Christmas time. Because it is way more than that. And if that's all it means to you, then I, I want you to know this morning that you are in need to meet Jesus personally. You are in need to get to know him yourself so that you too can have peace uh, uh, and goodwill toward men. So that you can experience the glory of God and, and the presence of the Lord in your own heart and life. Bethlehem means much more to us than this picture of peace and goodwill, although it brings that every time. Bethlehem is a special place. The Bible does say that in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, what? A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So Bethlehem means salvation. It means forgiveness of sins. What does that mean to us? What does that mean to you? What should that mean to the whole world? Well, it could be spelled with these letters, H-O-P-E. You know what Bethlehem brings? It brings hope to the world. Because we have now the opportunity for forgiveness of sins. We have now the opportunity of salvation. We, we have the opportunity of the gift of God, eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what that does? That allows us to see beyond our circumstances. It allows us to see beyond today and our tomorrows. It gives us hope beyond whatever problems and discouragement we might presently be going through. You know, it doesn't matter what the headlines say. It doesn't matter who holds political office. It doesn't matter which team wins the Super Bowl, right? We have hope beyond all of that. Or maybe I should say who loses the Super Bowl. You know, all of these things in life that get us up or get us down, you know, we have hope beyond all of that. There's something more important, more significant, more fulfilling, more rewarding than all of the things that we might see and know in this lifetime. And it's what Jesus gave us when he came to Bethlehem. Praise God for eternal salvation. Praise God for hope beyond this life. As Paul referred to it, hope beyond the grave. We have that hope because of Jesus. Do you have it this morning? Have you met the babe in Bethlehem, the Savior, who came? And isn't it fitting that we have the nativity in front of the cross? Because he was born to die. It was his purpose in coming. It's not a morbid thought. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus came to be the Passover lamb, to be God's offering for sin. That's why John the Baptist looked upon him as an adult and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus came to do that, and so he did. We celebrate his coming because of what it means. When we think of Bethlehem and this nativity scene, I want you to think and understand something about this place and this promise. Understand that Bethlehem means this. God knows us and he knows our need better than we do. How do we know that? Because 
in Bethlehem, God provided a Savior for us before we needed one. Because he knew we would. Now, I want to show you a verse of Scripture. You won't find that thought in Luke chapter 2, but go with me to 1 Peter, if you would, this morning. We're going to turn to a few verses. 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 18, the Bible says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained, watch this, before the foundation of the world, but who was manifest in these last times for you. So the Bible tells us here, that it was before ordained, before the foundation of the world. I mean, if we go all the way back into the days of Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God created all the beasts of the field, and God created the, and he created man, Adam and Eve, right? But look, Adam and Eve sinned. And when they sinned in the garden, it was like a tidal wave going forward because the Bible says in Romans 5, 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Hey, wait, God knew way back there in the beginning, God knew that was going to happen. And so before God created the world, before in the beginning, before that, from the foundations... It was already decided that Jesus was going to come and he was going to be born so that he could die for our sins. That's what 1 Peter chapter 1 is talking about. We were redeemed not with corruptible things, but with incorruptible things. The precious blood of Christ, who before the foundation of the world, it was determined that he would be our Savior. Isn't that great? Hey, there's a lot of other scriptures that we could go to that use that wording and that tell us that before the foundation of the world. But let me show you one more. Look at Revelation chapter 13. Just one more scripture. You know, there's, there's a lot of people in the end times who are going to follow someone other than Jesus Christ. It's kind of a shame, isn't it? But it's going to happen. In Revelation 13, look at verse 8. The Bible says there, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, watch this, slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Look, now that verse is actually talking about the Antichrist and it's saying that everyone whose names are not written in the book of life, in the Lamb's book of life, they're going to follow the Antichrist. Why? Because they don't know any better. Because they're going to be deceived by him. That's why. It's, it's not, it's not uh, well, I don't want to spend too much time on that. But in the end times, when the Antichrist appears, they're going to follow him. And the reason they're going to follow him is because they don't know Jesus. And, it, and when it talks about Jesus, it says, who was slain before the foundations of the world, right? So again, it reminds us that way before God created man in the garden in Genesis, before in the beginning... God decided he was going to give us a Savior. 
You see, God knows our need better than we do, and he knew we were going to need a Savior. God loves us, and even though he knew Adam and Eve were going to sin in the garden, he created them anyway. And he knew that from their line, you and I would appear. God loves his creation. God loves humanity. God loves people. God loves you. And God loves me this morning. And I want you to know something today. That God knew we were going to need a Savior. And loved us anyway. God knew we would need a Savior. And he, and he made man anyway. But look, this goes far beyond Bethlehem. And it goes far beyond the promise of salvation. Look, if you're already saved and you're a believer, then just like you got saved by faith, trusting Jesus as your Savior, you are to live the Christian life by faith. And I want you to know this morning, I don't know what needs you have in your life today, but I want you to know God knows your need better than you do, and He's able to provide your need. God's able to take care of us. Now, he does not always do it the way we think. Matter of fact, rarely does he do it the way we think. God doesn't work on our timetable. God doesn't always meet our expectations. But God always takes care of his children. And God knew. He knew our need. He provided a Savior before we needed one. Because he knew we would. And if God knew that we would need a Savior, and he already took care of that, before in the beginning, he said, let there be. What other needs in your life do you think God can take care of? God is able to meet your needs. God's able to give you guidance. God's able to give you wisdom. God's able to provide things for you. There are so many examples of that in the Bible. When we look at the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness, and didn't God take care of them? He took care of them in ways that we don't even think about, like, like just not letting their shoes wear out, right? You got a washing machine that's been running for years and years and years? <laughs> Thank God for that. I remember I was serving at another church one time, and the, and the air conditioning unit went out, as, as they do. They're mechanical units, and, and sometimes they get to the end of their lifespan, and so this unit went out, and it got to the end of its lifespan. We, we called the, the air conditioning company. They came out and did an inspection, and they said, we can't believe this. Well, you can't believe the AC went out? I mean, I thought that's what you guys do. No, 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 he said, <laughs> no, we see that all the time. What we don't see all the time is the age of this unit. And I forget now what it was, some ridiculous number. I mean, it's, this unit had ran and ran and ran for years and years and years and years, and they just could not believe that this unit was just now at its end. Oh, they said, you should have replaced this a decade ago. I mean, that's how long, you know, overdue we were of replacing that. And, you know, their testimony just encouraged us. We just said praise God even more because we knew that God gave us those extra years. God took care of that little congregation, right? And he just let that thing run. And God does that in different ways for different people. But, you know, we all have testimonies of how God met a need. That's just one, right? Isn't it funny how we want to pray and tell God how to do it, and then usually he does it different than we, because he's really not listening to us, because he already knows. And then later, we look back on how God did it, and we say, wow, Lord, thank you. Your way was better than my way. Well, that's, he knew that. That's why he didn't listen to you in the first place. 
Because God is good. These verses remind us that God knows our need. And he's able to meet those needs. Every time you see a nativity, understand this, that God was meeting the need, not of one person, of two people, not even a nation. God was meeting the need of all humanity at this moment in the nativity. He was providing a savior, not just to the Israels, Israelites, but to the world. Not just of that time, but for all time. That all of us everywhere would have the opportunity to repent and be saved. But that's not all. Bethlehem means God knows us and our need better than we do. And he provided a savior before we needed one because he knew we would. Also, Bethlehem means that it means God keeps his promises. He promised a savior would come and he did. God keeps his promises. Let me show you that. Turn, if you would, back to Genesis chapter 3. Now, we already know that God decided before, before creation, before the foundations of the earth, God decided that there would be a Savior and that he would come and save mankind from their sins. But as soon as man, I say man, mankind, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Look what God said to them the moment sin entered into the world. He said, uh, let's go to verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. And on thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. He said in verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, this sounds like it could apply to any man, but it, specifically it applies to the God-man, to Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman who would bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent would bruise his heel. That happened on the cross. This was a prophetic announcement that there would be a Savior coming to save the world, from sin, who would overcome the serpent, giving him a death blow, a bruise to the head. He would bruise the Lord's heel, not a death blow. Jesus did die, didn't he? But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And we sing about that every Sunday because every Sunday reminds us of resurrection. It's Jesus who's alive. We serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. And while we celebrate his birth, remember that he's not being born today. He's not dying today. He's reigning in heaven today. He's alive. What does this tell us? It tells us that God keeps his promises. So God decided before the world began that he would provide a savior. And he did. And as soon as he created the, the earth and as soon as sin entered the picture, God gave a promise that the savior would come. That sin and the devil would be overcome, and it was. Let me show you another promise. Turn in the Old Testament to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Right after the book of Jonah, Ezekiel, Daniel, go through those little books there, Jonah, and then you'll find the book of Micah. 
Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. This is the prophecy of the nativity. In verse 2 it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. (laughs) Isn't that good? This is a reference of Jesus Christ. The one whose goings were from eternity past, from old, from everlasting. Look, the timeline goes both ways, doesn't it? But for us, we go back to the days of Genesis in the beginning where God said, let there be, right? That's the beginning. So, so we kind of draw a line there because for us, time began and that's, that's the beginning for us. But you know what? God doesn't live in time. God lives above time. He's not affected by time. Jesus didn't have his beginnings in Genesis. The Bible says in Micah 5, 2, that he was from everlasting. So when you draw your timeline, don't start with a dot. Just put an arrow on that end because Jesus came from eternity past. He had no beginning because there was no time. It's hard for us to comprehend this because we were born in time, but God created time when he said, let there be. The ever existing one is the one who was promised to come. You know why? Because nobody else would do. No human could qualify to be the sacrifice for sin Because every human has his own sin. So Jesus had to come and be be born in a human body so that he without sin could be our offering, our sacrifice, who fit the qualifications of God to become the offering that God would accept to wipe away all sin. And he was that. So the point here is that in Genesis 3.15, God promised that this would happen. In Micah 5.2, God told where it would happen and who would come. So when we read Luke chapter 2, we're seeing that God keeps his promises. The promise he made in Genesis and the promise he made in Micah are being fulfilled in Luke chapter 2 in Bethlehem. Jesus came. You know, we, we're showing you a couple of verses, a couple of promises. But my, how many promises God made. How many prophecies there are that foretold of his coming. God did it that way so that there would be no doubt that this was the fulfillment of his word. And that is why the men of the east came. We call them the wise men. They came to worship him. Why? Because they knew who he was. Because of those promises, because of those prophecies, they understood that he was the fulfillment of all of that. Bethlehem reminds us that God keeps his promises. He promised a Savior would come, and he did. Jesus is our Savior. Today, Jesus offers to be your Savior. The Bible says every knee should bow to accept Jesus Christ. But the Bible also promises that one day Jesus will come again. And when he comes that, that time, 
He's not coming as a savior. He's coming as a king. And after that, everyone will bow. The Bible says every knee shall bow, right, before him. He will rule. He will reign. Right now you have a choice. If you receive him of your own choice, you can be saved. He can be your savior. But if you refuse that, then one day he will be your judge. Jesus came to save the world. This isn't in my notes, but would you turn with me for a moment to John chapter 3? John chapter 3. Notice what the Bible says in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Look at verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's what the message that God wants you to hear at Christmas and any other time, that he came to save you. I hope you'll let him do that so that he won't have to judge you one day. But not only that, Bethlehem means God knows us and our need. It means God keeps his promises. Let me give you another thought. Bethlehem means that God is able. We thought, think about that. I joked a moment ago about, you know, the tax season and how, how Luke chapter 2 talks about the taxes and how everyone went to be taxed in their own city and all of this hustle and bustle going on at Christmas time. It's been since the beginning. Look, here's what that means. It means that God is able. God is able. Look, he moved the known world in that day to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born there in a stable. And he was. Because you know it was prophesied that Jesus would be born that way, that he would be wrapped in those swaddling clothes. I was reading this story and thinking about this message, and I thought, man, why couldn't God have just given Joseph a carpenter job in Bethlehem, and that would have got him there, and we wouldn't have had to deal with all these taxes? <laughs> you know, that's kind of the way we would like to think about it. The problem with that train of thought is, if, if, if Joseph had got hired to do a carpenter job in Bethlehem, that would have been fine, and that would have gotten him there, but that would not have put Jesus in a manger. Just like any father, don't you think? He would have wanted to find a nice, comfortable room for his bride and, and for his wife. Wouldn't you want to provide the best possible for her to deliver? And, and don't you think that if there are no taxes and there are no hustle and bustle, there would have been plenty of rooms available? And the prophecy would not have been fulfilled exactly as it was given that Jesus would be found in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. So in order for this to happen, there had to be crowds and there had to be the hustle and bustle and the rooms had to be full so that there could be no room. Why? So that Joseph would end up in this lowly place, not a place he normally would have chosen, but the place God had chosen. To be born a humble birth in Bethlehem in a stable. You see, that was God's sign, not Joseph's. It was God's choice. It was God's prophecy being fulfilled, and he chose exactly, precisely how he wanted to do that. 
And God was able to move everyone around in the known world at that time in order to accomplish his will and, and honor his word. Why was that important? So that everyone would know that the word of God is accurate and reliable, that this prophecy was true, so that they would know that Jesus was truly the Savior, not somebody who just resembled him. Wow, there's so much there. So much there that we could preach about this morning. But I want you to look back in your text. Look at Luke chapter 2 in verse 1. And look at what it says. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing that they sent out, in verse 3 it says, All went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And that is what brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. God had calculated this all so perfectly. Knowing Joseph's lineage and where he would have to be. All of the pieces of the puzzle were together. And now the decree goes out. They get moved around so that they land in Bethlehem at just the right time. So that Jesus could be born there. The Bible says in verse 6, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Do you think that's a coincidence? Oh, no, dear friend, not with God. All of this was calculated precisely. God moved this way in such a massive movement so that his word would be exactly fulfilled just as it was promised. What does that mean to us? It means God is able. Look, you, you think your little situation is hard for God? <laughs> you think your little problem is hard for God? Man, read your Bible. That's why God said to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer class is no. But you know, sometimes life has a way of just beating us down to the point that we think, man, this is a hard problem I got, probably like no one else ever had. It's, it's, it's so hard, this thing I'm dealing with, man, this is so tough. I don't even know if God could take care of this. Well, yeah, God could take care of it. And you know, it's things like this that remind us that God is able and he can take care of the needs that we have in our life. Hey, listen, don't fret, friend. Carry that burden to the Lord. Take your problem to the cross because God is able. He moved the known world to accomplish his will. Listen, he can do the same thing in your life. God can take care of you. He can meet those needs. Now, again, he's not going to do it the way you think. He's not going to meet all of your expectations, but God is able to take care of you. He can do all things. Don't ever lose that faith to remember that in your own life. God is able. Number four, let me give you this. What does Bethlehem mean? It means God longs for you to be saved. Look at what great lengths he went to in order to provide salvation to you. And by the way, he did that himself. I was thinking about this. Why did God have to come and be born in a human body? I mean, why couldn't he have just miraculously made a perfect man? Maybe he could have done that. I mean, you know, we, we all the time are all caught up with like superheroes and Captain America and Superman and all this stuff. I don't know who your favorite is, but, you know, we think about people with these superhuman abilities and you may know somebody that's kind of in that category. They're just awesome, and they just seem like they can do anything or whatever. Look, 
the point is, God could have made somebody like that. God could have made a man that was sinless and broke the, the chain of sin. He could have done that. But he didn't do it that way. He chose to come himself and be born in Bethlehem. Now let that sink in. You know what that does? It makes salvation all that much more meaningful. That God didn't send some butler angel to do it. <laughs> he came himself. He came to us. It wasn't just a solution. It was a savior. It was Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Bethlehem means. Oh, man, what does that tell us? It says that God loves you so much and he longs for you to be saved. Look what he did for you. And he did it himself. He came personally to see that you had an opportunity to be saved. Hey, if that's not enough, friend, look at what Jesus went through on the cross of Calvary so that your sins could be forgiven. You know, the Bible uses on some occasions some accounting and even some legal terms having to do with our sin. And if you understand those aspects of life, you understand that forgiveness could not happen by God just kind of winking at your sin, like, okay, I'm going to act like I didn't see that one. God couldn't just forgive your sin on a word. Okay, you're forgiven. That's not good enough. Because there's a transaction, there's a legal transaction that has to take place in order for that wrong to be released, for the guilt to be absolved. The transaction took place on the cross when Jesus died for you and me. He fulfilled the holiness and the righteousness of God when he took the punishment for sin on himself. So all sin was still punished, just not on you, not on me. He took our punishment. That's why Jesus is the only one that has the authority to forgive sins, because he paid the price. It's, it's interesting that we celebrate this around Christmas because that transaction process is resembled in the way we give gifts. Now, I don't know how you do it, but the way we do it is we, we go to the store and we buy the gift, right? So we buy the gift. I'm going to use this book. So we go to the store and purchase the gift. Now, when I go to the register, you know, they don't, they don't give me the gift free. I say, hey, this is a Christmas present for my nephew. They don't say, oh, in that case, you know, help yourself. It's free. No, 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 no. They still do the cha-ching, you know, and you got to pay for that. Okay, so I pull out the old wallet, right? Pull out the wallet. we got to flash the cash right here or the card, whichever you use. And, and guess what? We have to pay for that. Now, the fact that I paid for this and then I walk out with the, with the receipt and, and I go home, that's what gives me the authority to wrap this up and put to my nephew from, right? I can give this to whoever I want to. Matter of fact, I, I, on the way home, I, I might change my mind and say, you know, I, I think this would be a better gift for so-and-so. I can do that because I bought it. It's mine. I can give it to whoever I want or not give it. Right? So I choose to give it to my nephew. I wrap it up. I put his name on it. Guess what? It's for him. It was bought with him in mind. It was wrapped. His name is on it. 
but I still have to go to him and say, hey, buddy, Merry Christmas. And when I do that, something has to happen. He has to accept it before it becomes his. Now, until then, it's intended for him. It's designated for him. It's available to him. It is meant for him. But it's not his until he accepts it. And then it becomes his. And I don't know about you, I've never seen anywhere of any time, anyone, anybody, go take it back. <laughs> I changed my mind, nephew. I, I kind of like that myself. Right? <laughs> Man, you say, that wouldn't be a gift. That's not Christmas. You're right. And that's not our Savior. He doesn't give it and then take it back. It's a one-time transaction. And when it happens, it's final. The gift of God is salvation. It's the forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says when we accept Christ, we accept that forgiveness. Once we do that, it becomes ours and a record is made in heaven. When the forgiveness is recorded in heaven, it's done. It's an eternal transaction. You are forgiven, clean in Jesus that's what we call the doctrine of justification. So now you look just as if you never sinned to a holy God. Hey, friend, can I tell you something? That's the only reason that exists that would allow a human being to go to heaven and be accepted before God. There is no other way. Because the Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. We could never get there by ourselves based on our own goodness because all of our goodness piled up could never be good enough because of our sin. That's what Jesus did for us. And the story of Bethlehem lets you know that God longs for you to be saved. He went to all of these great lengths to move heaven and earth, to provide salvation for you so that you could one day come and he could say, welcome home, my child. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Could we go back to Luke chapter 2? The Bible says, thinking about all these things, it says in verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary pondered these things. She really gave consideration to what God was doing, not just in her life, but in the world during her time. I want to ask you this morning, will you? Will you take these things to heart? Will you take it personally, what Jesus did for you? The message of Christmas is that God loves you. Merry Christmas. Bethlehem means we have a Savior. And the offer is open. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's what Christmas means. We invite you to do that today so that you can leave here with the same assurance that Mary had and that we have that one day heaven will be your home.
that your sins are all forgiven. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is and because of what he did. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation that you freely provided in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we ask today that you would impress these things upon our heart, that we might truly take them to heart, that they might be near and dear and personal to us, because nothing is real until it's personal. And make salvation, make this manger personal to us today. Make it real, Lord, so that we might make it personal. In Christ's name we ask.